Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Our Next Guest Is. Hello again and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. And this is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we meet the person behind the reputation. My name's Michael Pope. I'm here, of course, with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? Our next guest has been in the media for coming up to 20 years, from corporate and criminal lawyer to stand-up comedian and then media personality. He has presented to hundreds of events as MC or a keynote speaker on innovation, a subject he masters in after seven years as the host of the ABC program, The New Inventors, as well as an author of books from The Adventures of Sir Roderick the Not-So-Brave to Innovation is a State of Mind, Simple Strategies to Be More Innovative in What You Do. Our next guest is... James O'Loughlin. G'day, Carson. G'day, Michael. Great intro. Thank you very much. Yeah, no well, worries, we, we read it just as you wrote it, <laughs> yeah, so that's good. <laughs> uh, James, first up, what did you have to do to become a criminal lawyer? What, uh, what was your crime? <laughs> <laughs> I actually started as a, as a corporate lawyer at the big end of town in Sydney and hated it and <laughs> desperately tried to get into crime. I spent a year and a half writing letters to all the criminal firms and eventually got a job interview with one and came out with the great line when they said, you know, we won't be able to pay you as much as the big firms. I, I said, I said, great negotiator me. Don't you worry, I'm not going to refuse this job over money. Uh, so, <laughs> How long did you last there? I, I lasted a year and a half and then yeah. I, I went to Blacktown. I, I got a job with Legal Aid, the Legal Aid Commission of New South Wales and worked uh, at Blacktown Local Court as the duty solicitor there. Okay. And for a private schoolboy from Canberra, a very eye-opening experience mm. really showed me a lot about you know, a, a whole raft of people I never even knew existed. It was a great right. experience. Is that, is that what drove you into then the comedy, do you think, seeing that side of life? I'd sort of started doing stand-up when I became a criminal lawyer to cheer myself up um, because <laughs> yeah. I was so depressed as a <laughs> – sorry, as a corporate lawyer, as a yeah. corporate lawyer. Um, so I, right through the 1990s, I was a lawyer by day and a comedian by night. And by the end of the 90s, I was very tired. Uh, but then the, the performer in you took over the legal. Yeah, eventually. So at Legal Aid, uh, I, I was able to work part-time. I was three days a week, then two days a week as I got more comedy work. And I, I, I've always been very um, – well, I've never been bold. I've, I've never thought I'm going to just leap into comedy and that'll be my life. Right. I, I, I did it very incrementally. I was very nervous about leaving the law. But eventually by the start of 1999, I was confident enough to, to say goodbye. Yeah. And then how did the new inventors come into your life? Because it's really from that experience yeah. that's, that's catapulted you into a, a third uh, chapter. Yeah, that's right. So from 2002, I was working on radio here in Sydney for the ABC doing the uh, Monday to Friday evening show. Mm-hmm. And then in 2004, they were putting the new inventors together, or in 2003, I guess, and uh, they auditioned a whole heap of people, including me, and um, we'd just got a mortgage. And I was really motivated. <laughs> that'll, that'll do it <laughs> yeah, really yep. motivated to do a great audition. And I was lucky enough to get it. Just give us a pricey of what The New Inventors was. Yeah, The, the New Inventors went from 2004 to 2011 on ABC TV. And each week we'd have three inventors or innovators on the show and they'd show us the thing that they created and we'd talk a little bit about it and give a prize for the winner. But it wasn't really about the prize. It was about showing them a bit of mm. love and celebrating innovation in yeah. in, in in Australia. I had the pleasure of watching numerous episodes of The New Inventors and you did that incredibly well. You were able to take uh, these complicated, uh, a lot of these ideas were complicated, but actually then explain them from a layman's point of view. Did, yeah, it was because I didn't know much. <laughs> but, but then the audience didn't know much either, did they? Yeah, no, I, yeah, we didn't want the show to be about how this, this 
wire connects to this widget connects to this thing. We want it to be about how these things can change their lives and, and, and about the people who created them. So the, the people who created them, what was the ongoing thread that held them all together, these entrepreneurs, these innovators? Well, that became my fascination, Michael, because... I thought, geez, I'm going to be working with all these geniuses. And one of the things I was surprised about uh, was that so many of the innovators, there were a minority who I would say were geniuses, but so many of them weren't. So many of them were normal people like me, no smarter than you or I, you know, uh, tradies, um, all sorts of jobs, farmers, everyone. And I thought, well, if if they're not geniuses... What is it that they're doing differently from the rest of us that Mm. allow them to come up with something that we can all see once it's there and it seems obvious once it's there Mm -hmm. but none of us ever thought of? And that's when I started getting really fascinated by the process of innovation, how it happens. And I noticed at the time that, and still actually, everyone's always banging on about the why of innovation, why we need to do it from the Prime Minister down but no one ever talks about the how. The, how. Mm, the yeah. motivation's mm, really yeah. easy. We've got to be yeah. innovative. You can make that case in eight seconds, right? But the how is hard, and I was in a perfect position to study the how. So in your observation, are they, you know, apple falling on the head moments or are they incremental steps or, yeah. or is so it something else? The time when I first began to become aware of what they do differently to us was when I was talking to one of uh, the people we had on the show and he said, yeah, I, I said, how'd you come up with this? And I was, I was, I was sitting on my own doing my thinking and I said, well, what do you mean doing your thinking? And I said, well, every day I spend five minutes thinking about, about things that aren't perfect. And oh, I said, wow. serious? And he goes, well, yeah, doesn't everyone know? No, <laughs> no it's a state no, of mind. No, everyone does. And I said, only five minutes. He said, yeah, but I just look for things that aren't perfect, problems, opportunities, and I spend five minutes thinking about how to make them better. Did you ever have anyone come back uh, again uh, after being on the show because they were really always looking for these gaps that, and, and coming up with new ideas? Or did you yeah. only have them once? No, no, we had a number of people come on back. twice. Yep. So if I have a good idea, I might have a second good idea. Oh, yep. definitely. Oh, and it, and, it, and it, you don't have to be a particular point, and this is kind of the, the keystone of my case, You don't have to be a particular type of person to have a great idea. You just have to say, I'm going to spend a bit of time each day thinking about how to solve the problems in my life and take advantage of the opportunities. And if you do that, you'll have ideas because you won't just sit there for five minutes. You'll have ideas and eventually you'll have a good idea. Everyone can do that. The interesting thing about that is, and you talk about the how, lots of people have had great ideas, but it's that next step. It's the the thing they do next that actually, how do they take that idea to market? There's three steps to innovation. One is thinking, spending a bit of time each day thinking. And hardly anyone Mm. does that. You Mm. know, in my keynotes, I say, put up your hand if if you have days when you're too busy to think often and every single person always puts up their hands. Sure. So thinking. The second thing, once you have an idea, value it. Treat it like it's important. So many people have an idea and go, oh, well, if it was any good, someone else would have thought of it. Hundreds of people in my time in the New Inventors and since came up to me and said, oh, you know that thing you had on? I thought of that 20 years ago and <laughs> then I did nothing. And I go, well, good on you for having the idea and my yep. sympathy. So value your idea. Yep. Treat it like it's something important. Remember, ideas are what separate us from uh, all the other species. From people who aren't on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And then the third thing, think, value, use. Do something with your ideas. And that can be very intimidating. because, yes. But just don't worry about all that. Just work out what the next thing to do is and do that. 
And so, after you do the next thing, you might find your idea is no good and you can go on the next one. But just work out what the ne- – so the next thing might be to draw a diagram, might be to get knowledge mm. from yeah. someone else or whatever it is. Just yep. work out the next thing, do that, keep going like that. So that's great for an individual's pathway to invention. But what about innovation in the workplace? How do businesses uh, foster creative minds and then once someone puts forward an idea, how willing are businesses to accept new ideas and innovation? Mm. So creating a culture of innovation, everyone wants to do that and it's not that hard. Um, I talk about it a lot. It's two variables as to how innovative an organisation is. One is the amount of ideas being produced, right? So I don't mean the quality of ideas. If you get enough ideas being produced, you'll get, you'll get lots of good ideas. Is, is it right? a bell curve? There's some crap ideas, some great ideas, yeah. and most of them are in the middle but we won't probably activate them. Yeah, exactly. But you need to get them all into the pipeline yeah. to get the good ones out the back. So get... Everyone having ideas from the receptionist to the CEO, the people down below who are never asked for ideas, who are dealing with customers using systems, they're the ones who often know what things are working mm. well and where you need to improve. So get as many ideas as you can. Uh, make it a KPI, right? Everyone's got to have one idea a month. They've got mm. to tell it to their boss. Do people respond to that pressure? Oh, it's not that much pressure. Like in my workshops, right, I give people four minutes to think of an idea to improve their business. Think of some things where your business isn't perfect. Right, right. now you've got four minutes to think of an idea. Done it with thousands of people. No one's ever not had an idea in four minutes. Fantastic. So it's not that much pressure. Then create a pipeline so that everyone knows where to go with their ideas. No one's cynical. There is a process. It's transparent, clear, and credible, just like with the sales pipeline where, where they are judged, assessed, gradually whittled down trials until you find the good ones. So get everyone having ideas, have a credible system. Now, the barriers, wow, there's lots of barriers. And mm. um, a lot of them, people say they don't have enough time. So that's always a good one. Yeah, five minutes a day. Mm. That's one percent of your time. Yep. Spend ninety nine percent of it on today, one percent of it on tomorrow. Uh, people say that they're not innovative. I, I guess I've talked about that, but everyone can have ideas. Remember mm. that example. So that's my mindset workshop. Yeah, that's mindset. Yep. Uh, and I, I, I often tell people that up until the age of five, pretty much their job was to be innovative. You know, that's all you did all day. <laughs> Absolutely, it? make it's up a, stuff. It's a life right? of discovery. Yeah. Another one I talk about a lot is habitual thinking. That is, we get so used to our workplace and the way we do things that we just do it. Yeah. Is there one particular story from one of the new inventors show uh, that stands out for you? Yeah, look, a guy, okay, there was, uh, there's a problem for farmers when they are in cattle yards. They know never to stand behind a gate because they might have their back to it and, and a cow might kick the gate. Yeah. Right. Farmers have been injured every year in Australia, some even killed um, by that just because they forget and, they t- and you know, they're doing 10 things at once, yeah. bang. Yeah. Um, that problem has been around for hundreds of years. Mm. We had an inventor on who solved it by putting a hinge in the middle of the gate. Um, and what it means is if, you, if a cow kicks the gate, the force is dissipated by, I hope, I hope this is clear, but imagine, stick your arm out straight and imagine it going straight and yes. then imagine it breaking at your elbow mm. and all the force is dissipated so it doesn't slam into the farmer's back, it just slides softly down right. um, against the wall. Now, yeah. what I thought was great about that is that Hinges have been around for 2,000 years. Yes. Gates have been around for 2,000 years. That problem's been around. Cows have been around for about 400. Very yeah. good, yeah, 400, nearly 400. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that problem's been around for hundreds of years. So technology isn't always the answer. Sometimes yeah. we think it is. Sometimes we think, oh, we have to wait for the new fandangle. can just be thinking about things. So is the next great idea going to come from someone who's looking at the existing world differently rather than trying to you know, look to the stars or the heavens or outer space and create something that just doesn't exist? 
because that guy looked at what was yeah. there and uh, had a different perspective. Exactly. Sometimes it's there. Often, I think usually it's there. It's there. O- often, you know, the, the big innovations of the last 20 years, uh, we think about um, the technology and, yep. how, you know, social media. The robot vacuum cleaner. Robot vacuum cleaner. Soon will be self-driving cars, won't it? Yeah. All that sort of stuff. But there are lots of incremental ways. And I think this is more valuable probably for listeners because most listeners will be thinking, what's an incremental way I can improve the way I do things, either in business or at home? See, for example, innovation can be in how you deal with people. Say you're having the same argument with your teenage daughter, right? And it's about all different things, but it's really about power. Yeah. And it's really about how she wants more freedom but doesn't want responsibility and you're trying to win the argument, right? Well, you can actually step back from that, examine what you're doing, think, how can I do this better so we have a more harmonious household and realise that winning the argument isn't really the point. Mm. The point is working with her to make her understand that responsibility and freedom go hand in hand. Mm. So to me, that's innovation. It's just breaking out of patterns, looking at what you do, thinking about how to do it better. Cool. Thanks for sharing that insight with you and your daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I was just going to say that um, most of the innovation that I've seen recently has all become out of just small things. And there's a great example from a guy in Adelaide, Scott Bucock, uh, invented the Hex peg. I mean, Scott took a peg, put a hook on it, to help uh, hang his wife's uh, lingerie and, 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 and underwear and things. Yeah. Um, and now he's marketed that to the world and it's sold in 40 countries. That's great. So and thanks again, thanks your... for that insight into Scott's private life as well. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Scott, Scott, will be, Scott shares that, I'm sure, if you have But you're quite right. So these are your observations from time, both with that program and then the impact afterwards. How was that transition from that knowledge to the speaker stage? So I got this fascination when I was on the New Inventors about innovation and how it happens. And I started to kind of study these people and you know, think about it and write down things and whatever. And then, I mean, I I was very lucky in my transition to speaking because I was the host of that show. I got asked to speak Mm, on mm. innovation. He's famous. He's on TV. Yeah. him. (laughs) Yeah. He must know something. That's right. And and then when I started to do that, I realised that there was a whole world out there of speaking and trying to impart learnings to people in a way that would be useful to them. And once you realise that then there's a whole craft in taking a whole lot of stuff you think you know and, and adding stories and takeouts mm. and making it entertaining but also valuable to people. And so that takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And you do it to many different businesses and many different audiences. Is there a standout or two uh, gigs that either, you know, flew through the ceiling or perhaps fell on the floor? I did a showcase, uh, you, you know, showcases where you you have a whole lot of people who are a looking speaker for speakers. showcase with uh, buyers in the room. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. And uh, there's like six speakers and, you know, you always feel a lot of pressure. Yep. And there's a speaker called Colin James, who you probably know, who... I asked if he wouldn't mind watching me because I had a great deal of respect for him and he was an expert on the craft. And he uh, gave me some notes afterwards and it's pretty much the turning point for me in that at that time I was still so conditioned by my experience in stand-up comedy that I wanted to entertain Mm. the audience. Right, rather than provide content. Yeah, and he said, the entertainment is fine but you've got to understand you're there. They're paying you to stand on stage to teach their audience Mm. something and the test isn't whether they're entertained after an hour. The test is whether the next day they do things a little bit differently. They're a little bit better at their job. And so you've got to hold the space as a teacher. And that advice was kind of absolutely pivotal to me and I'm forever in Colin's debt because it just changed my whole mindset about about what I was doing and where the value of it was and, and, 
you know, how to measure success, really. You do a couple of keynotes. There's the innovation keynote, which is more a daytime thing, and then you do an after-dinner keynote. What, what's the difference in the two? Um, with, a, with an after-dinner apart, speech. Apart from the light in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and alcohol. That, that pause bothered me. That's right. <laughs> and the alcohol being consumed at the tables, that's maybe. Right. But, um, that's right. And the number of people who leave early. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. And the fact that you're being followed by a band. Yes, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Look, I, I find at night, often an audience has been at a conference all day and they want more of a mixture of entertainment and learnings. Yes. So it's uh, it, it's important to put in more humour and more stories. Like I always think it's really important in a keynote to illustrate the things you're trying to tell the audience with stories yeah. because they remember the story and from that they remember the learning the you've lesson. attached yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you just give them a whole heap of lessons, they'll, they'll forget them. So after dinner speech, more entertainment, more jokes, more stories. I imagine it's during the day that you do your, your workshops, which is a major part of what you offer. First step is they look for opportunities in their business to do things better. Then they pick one of those opportunities, have an idea. And as I said earlier, everyone always has an idea. And I think that in itself is a victory because it confronts those people who label themselves as non-innovative, kind of proves to them that that's actually not the By case. By going through the actual process yeah. themselves. Yep. And then they get into groups of three and each have a turn sharing and growing mm. their idea. Then the last thing they do is uh, is work out what they need to do next to find out what, whether their idea is any good or not. You're also a prolific writer as well. Innovation is a state of mind is just one of your books. What's that about? Well, that's really came out of that's the probably thing. what we've been talking about. Yeah, last pretty minutes. much. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically. I'm not going to read it now. I've just heard about. <laughs> <laughs> You've certainly heard a summary of it. Yeah, it's, look, it's the keynote expanded with more case studies and more detailed learnings. So you've also got an interest in kids books yeah i've i've uh i'm writing my sixth at the moment the latest one's called the new kid unpopular me and it's the first autobiographical one actually it's about an only child moving to canberra from adelaide and having to make friends it's all about striving for popularity which is what i had to do i've never heard anyone move to canberra from adelaide yeah how was that <laughs> Well, I used to do a joke about how I, I was born in Melbourne, then moved to Adelaide, then moved to Canberra. It was it was like it was like we were kind of we could have moved straight from Melbourne to Canberra. That would have been too much of a culture shock. So we went via Adelaide to kind of you know slow down. De- yeah, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Slow down a little bit. Fantastic. We do this thing called the elevator pitch. So in uh, in a few short sentences, describe what you do and how you do it. I talk about innovation. Every t- everyone tells you innovation is important. No one tells you how to do it. I do. Okay, perfect. Fantastic. That could be on a T-shirt. If you would like James to come into your organisation and learn about innovation, particularly how to do the innovation, please go to jamesolochlan.com. That was Our Next Guest Is with Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope. To hear more of our guests, you can find us on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.